Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you that we can be here today and to hear from you and from your word. And we pray for the help of your spirit. Lord, I pray for your help just that my voice would hold. I pray that you would speak through me to each one of us, that you would use this time in your word to grow and encourage our faith. Lord, I recognize that my words are grass and yours are granite. I pray that you would help us to hear your words today and that it would bring change. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever stopped to think about how awesome the world would be if everyone just kept the Ten Commandments? Amen. You thought about that? Listen to what Kevin DeYoung writes. We wouldn't need copyright laws, patent laws, or intellectual property rights. We wouldn't need locks on our doors or fraud protection. We wouldn't have to spend money on weapons or defense systems. We wouldn't need courts, contracts, or prisons. Can you imagine what life would be like? The law is not an ugly thing, it is good and righteous and holy, end quote. God's word is a precious gift. And I hope that we will see that today in our text. Would you turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4? We're going to look at verses 1 through 14 today. Moses moves from recalling what God had done in chapters 1 through 3 in their history, to now focusing in on exhorting Israel to hear and obey God's word in chapter 4. And what he's doing is he is preparing them for their life in the land with God. How do they live in relationship with their God? God's given them the land, but their possession of it and their experience of well-being in it are contingent on their obedience to God's revealed will. In light of God's salvation, obey his commands. The message for us this morning is to trust and obey the word of the Lord. Trust and obey God's word. That is the theme of our text. God gave us his commands, and four times in this passage, he says, do them. Verse 1, verse 5, verse 6, verse 14. Twice we're told to keep them. Verse 2, verse 6. And once we're told to perform them. Verse 13. Seven times in these 14 verses. So the clear theme is trust and obey, obey God's word. But I want us to see what Moses is doing here. It's not just about obedience. God's word in this passage is being presented as a gift, as a precious blessing. Obedience is being presented as a, a blessing, as a motivation for the people to obey the Lord. It's a blessing to God's people. And I want to show four blessings of trusting and obeying God's word today. 
First, God spoke his word that by it we may live. Look at verse one. Moses says, and now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and rules that I'm teaching you and do them that you may live. There it is. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers is giving you. Trust and obey because it leads to life. And life here relates to physical life and well-being, as well as enjoyment of their covenant blessings, the enjoyment of their relationship with God. There's an important connection between obedience and their enjoyment of life with God and the land. That's why at the end of this first sermon, the end of chapter 4, in verse 40, Moses is going to say, Therefore... Keep his statutes and his commandments that I'm commanding you that it may go well with you and your children. This is the overall theme. And when you drive on a mountain road, you do not get angry at the guardrails. You're grateful that they're there because they keep you from driving off the road and plunging to your death. (laughs) And they're put there for your good so that you can travel freely and safely. Remember, God in his grace had already rescued them and made them his people. So God's rules are how they enjoy life in relationship with him. Obedience to God leads to our good, to our joy. This is why Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Moses goes on in verse two, and he says, you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. This is gonna be a repeated theme that Moses comes back to throughout the book. These are God's words and they carry God's authority. God's word is not to be altered. It's to be taken whole. Though this didn't mean that there could be no further revelation from God himself, which we know there was. The point is, it's like a buffet. When you go to a buffet, you you get to pick and choose the the parts of that buffet that you like, the things that appeal to you, and you get to leave all the rest. But we don't get to treat God's word like a buffet. We don't get to pick the parts that we like and leave the rest. Every word is God's, and rightly understood is to be obeyed. And we're going to see how the law applies to us through Jesus Christ, through the lens of Jesus Christ in the weeks ahead. But there's a principle here in this verse as well, that God's word is sufficient. God's word is enough. It's enough to make you complete. It's enough to thoroughly equip you for every good work. Because God's word is sufficient, there is no need to add to it in order to face today's challenges. And there's no need to subtract from it to fit today's culture. Because God's word is sufficient, we can expect it to speak to every area of life. 
It speaks to entertainment and use of technology and marriage and parenting and politics and business practices and sports, showing us how to live in a way that pleases God. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible tells us everything there is to know about everything there is to know. The Bible's not a math textbook or a biology textbook. What I'm saying is, is that it tells us everything we need to know in order to be faithful to God in every area of our lives. This definition is adapted from Dr. Grudem. The Bible contains all the words of God that we need for salvation and for trusting and obeying God perfectly in all things. God's word is normative. It's the standard of of moral truth. The question is, do we really believe that God's word is enough? Moses illustrates how obedience leads to life by recalling what happened at Baal Peor. Look at verses three and four. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. Now you can read about this history in Numbers chapter 25. Some of the Israelites joined in the idolatrous worship of Baal. They ate sacrifices to their gods. They bowed down to those gods. They also committed sexual immorality with some of these Moabite women as a part of this religious ceremony. And as a result, God sent a plague on them as a judgment for their idolatrous worship. And 24,000 of them were killed Moses says, all the men who followed the Baal of Peor were destroyed, while those who remained faithful, that is, who held fast to the Lord, they lived. That's a very vivid picture. (laughs) Disloyalty, death. Loyalty, life. It's a picture that disobedience brings death while obedience brings life. God is teaching them Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, Deuteronomy 8.3. They have to remain loyal to the Lord. Their faithfulness to God was going to be tested every day, just like our faithfulness to God is tested every day. God spoke his word that by it we may live. Now, Obedience to God does not just ensure their enjoyment of life with God in the land, it would also be a witness to the nations. And this leads me to point two. God spoke his word that his nearness and his wisdom would be our witness in the world. Trust and obey because it makes us wise. And our close relationship with God is a winsome witness. We see this in verses five through eight. Look at verse five. Moses says, see, I taught you the statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of them. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Their obedience to God's word was going to be a witness in the world. The nations are going to say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. They're going to be amazed because What great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this laws that I set before you today? 
the nations would see Israel's greatness, not because of her wealth or her military strength, but because of her relationship with the Lord and the righteousness of her laws. Because no nation has a God so near, verse 7, or a law so righteous, verse 8. God's word is righteous, it's perfect, it's inerrant, it is without error. The blessing here is that after God rescued them from Egypt, he didn't leave them alone to try to, to guess how he wanted them to live in the land. In the ancient religions, they didn't know what their gods expected of them, what they wanted of them. It was like trial and error. It was all guesswork. They had to try to figure it out, and they would never really know if they got it right or not. You see, after our salvation, one of our greatest blessings, the greatest privileges that we have is the presence of God and the knowledge of his will. There are two of our greatest privileges. So one blessing here is God's presence with you. God is near to those who trust and obey him, seen here in answered prayer. Verse seven, God is near whenever Israel calls on him, providing, guiding, delivering, sustaining. Obedience leads to close relationship with God and that brings power in prayer. This is an oft-repeated truth in scripture. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Proverbs 28, nine, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. John 9, 31, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Again and again, we could add John 15, 7 or Isaiah 59, 2 or James 5, 16 to this list. Another blessing of obeying God's law is enjoying the justice that follows because righteousness exalts a nation. Proverbs 14, 34. No other nation had such righteousness in her laws. It's very important for us to realize man will have a law. We cannot eliminate law. Some standard of right and wrong will be established. And we see this in our culture today. It is now widely considered wrong to say things like, there are only two genders. Senator Cynthia Loomis was booed by the graduates of the University of Wyoming during her commencement speech. Why? Because she had the audacity to say that it's a scientific truth that there are only two sexes, male and female. Now, why did the graduates boo? And why did the university apologize for inviting her to speak? Because in their view, what she said was wrong, hurtful. She broke their standard of right and wrong. So men will have a law. It's not whether, but which. It's not whether there will be a law, but which law will it be? Man's or God's? 
The question is whose law and only God's law is righteous. We are witnessing the far-reaching effects of immorality in our nation. But I want to suggest and remind us that righteous behavior is equally far-reaching in its effects. And so what that means is one of the best ways, the best way to shape the culture is by making disciples of Jesus Christ and teaching them to obey all that he has commanded us. Now, these two blessings together become another blessing. God's nearness and wisdom leads to another blessing of obedience, a winsome witness to the world. God's covenant with Abraham always had the blessing of the nations in sight. It was never going to be just about Israel. It was always for the world. What God requires of Israel, we see here, has a missionary purpose in verse 6. The goal of Israel's covenant-keeping love was to be a God-exalting witness in the world. And there's both a corporate and an individual uh, dimension to this. As a church community, we want to be and build a culture that's marked by Christ-like covenant-keeping love, marked by the joy of keeping God's word of walking in relationship with him. Our obedience is meant to display the great blessing of having God's presence and the knowledge of his will, the wisdom of his word, so that people are attracted to him. And we do this together. This is a group project. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is the fulfillment of the law. Love God and love others is the fulfillment of the law. When we love one another, this is our witness to the world. We don't need gimmicks to attract people to Jesus Christ, to win people to Christ. We don't need fancy programs. We need faithful disciples living in community with each other. The only show that we want to give the world is to show them the privilege of knowing God and his will. Yes, we've got to be able to share the truth of the gospel clearly, but we also need to adorn that truth by living and showing the life-transforming power of God's word, of the gospel. Let's show people the joy of the Lord. Delighting in obedience to Jesus is essential for our mission of reaching the world with the good news of God's grace. But let me ask you, brothers and sisters, do any non-believers, any unbelievers, know you well enough to see the impact of God's presence and God's word operating in your life? Do they know you well enough to see those two things operating in your life? How are they going to see if they don't know you? This is why hospitality is such a help to evangelism. Can I, can I encourage you to do something really radical for Jesus? Invite some non-believers over for dinner 
and let them see you living out your faith in word and deed. That's radical. But it, it really is not. God spoke his word that his nearness and his wisdom would be our witness in the world. Third, God spoke his word that by it we may learn to fear him all our lives. <clears throat> Trust and obey because that is how you fear the Lord. And we'll see that's a blessing too. We're going to see this in verses 9 through 14. And I'm going to read the rest of our text in one chunk. And then we will exposit it over the next two points. So follow along with me in your Bibles or on the screen. I think I have it. Moses says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, that's Sinai, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice, and he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land you're going over to possess. Moses here recounts the awesome, the majestic, the terrifying presence of God at Mount Sinai as he gives his word. And one of the blessings is that the people would learn to fear the Lord. Look again at verse 10. God gathered them and spoke to them so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth. You gotta, it's really hard. Picture this as well as, well as you can. Smoke is billowing on the mountain. There is fire on the mountain. It's reaching to heaven. The ground is shaking underneath their feet. Exodus tells us there is lightning and thunder and the sounds of trumpets and it, there is, as Moses says here, there is cloud and gloom. Fire is blazing because the Lord descended on the mountain. It was terrifying. Exodus 20, 18 tells us the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. Now get this. All the while that this is happening, God is speaking. Speaking to them from the midst of the fire. It's not like the fire came down and then he shut it all off for a minute and gave them the Ten Commandments. The whole time he's giving them his word, this is happening. And Moses is telling us, he tells us in Exodus and he tells us here that the purpose of God's word spoken from the fire was to instill in them a life long reverence for God. We got to understand, this is not a children's nursery story. God did not give his law to the sound of a harp. He could have. He gave his law to the sound of thunder and blazing fire. 
The people stood in the presence of a holy God who is the judge of all sin, and they're realizing God is a consuming fire, as we'll see next week. He is to be revered and obeyed. Now, the fear of the Lord is one of the main themes of the Bible, and it is the proper response of man to God. It combines reverence and awe at his majesty and dread of his judgment, both of which deter us from sin and motivate us to obey him. Obedience is connected inseparably to the fear of the Lord. It's why Psalm 112 verse 1 says, blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. The fear of the Lord is greatly delighting in God's commandments. On the other hand, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, Proverbs 8, 13. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding, Psalm 111, 10. It's not just an attitude. It's something you do. The fear of the Lord is also connected to service, Psalm 211, worship, Psalm 57, wisdom, Psalm 111.10, the awe of God, Psalm 33.8. But I want to look at one more text, Psalm 34, 11 through 15, because it echoes so many of the same truths that we're seeing in Deuteronomy 4. Come, O children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Okay? Good. Teach us. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good. That was point one. Obedience leads to life. Well, what's the fear of the Lord? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. That's the fear of the Lord. It's obedience. Then he says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. We saw that And point two, can we have love or respect for God without having love or respect for his words? Does a child who says they love and respect their father actually love and respect him if they ignore his words? Moses says, take care and keep your soul diligently. Don't let what you've seen and heard depart from your heart Deuteronomy teaches that obedience comes from a heart that fears the Lord. Obedience is the fruit, it's the fruit of a heart that is awed by God's majesty, surrendered to his ways, takes seriously his word, and trusts in him for help. The sad part about it is, is as we go through the book of Deuteronomy, and you know from the rest of the Old Testament that by and large, most of Israel was hard-hearted, stubborn, and rebellious. They did not fear the Lord. They did not have circumcised hearts. They needed heart surgery. They needed a new heart, which is the promise of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 says, and I will give you a new heart And a new spirit I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. One of the great distinctions 
and the reasons why the new covenant is better than the old covenant is because every member of the new covenant has a new heart. God empowers every member of the new covenant to love and obey him because he gives every member his spirit. Through faith in Jesus Christ, God gives you his spirit so that you can love and obey him. Not perfectly, but truly and faithfully. We're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come as we explore God's law. But know that God has given you his spirit. God promises blessing for those who fear the Lord, both small and great alike. Psalm 115, verse 13. I said, fear of the Lord is a blessing. So far, all it sounds like is obedience. Show me the blessing part, Michael. Let me just read a few verses as an encouragement. How abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you. Psalm 31, 19. The fear of the Lord adds length to life, Proverbs 10, 27. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them, Psalm 34, 7. His mercy is for those who fear him, Luke 1, 50. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, Psalm 103, 11, and 13. It makes me want to say with David, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. Psalm 34, 9. God's protection, provision, favor, deliverance, mercy, love, compassion, and reward are for those who fear him. Walk in the fear of the Lord. Jesus tells his disciples, don't fear those who can kill the body but can't kill the soul. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. God spoke his word that we might learn to fear him all the days of our lives and that this reverence for God must be taught to the next generation. And that leads me to my final point this morning. God spoke his word that we might teach our children to trust and obey him that we might know the blessing of multi-generational faithfulness. These great events of Horeb were to be carefully guarded and passed on, lest they be forgotten and the next generation stop following the Lord. Look at verse 9 again. Make them known to your children and your children's children. The principle here is multi-generational discipleship. It's parents and grandparents passing on faith to future generations so that they can learn to fear the Lord all of their lives, so that they will know the blessings of faith and obedience to God. That same principle applies to Christians. The great saving acts of God in Christ have to be remembered and passed on along with the truths of his word. So we instruct our kids in the gospel. God's gracious act of redemption in sending Jesus Christ who lived, perfectly obeyed, suffered, died on the cross in our place for our sins, rose again from the dead, conquering sin and death so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The great 
and gracious work of God in Jesus Christ to rescue us from bondage, from bondage to our sin, from the kingdom of darkness, and bring us into his kingdom. Amen? We pass that on to our children. We pass on to our children. We teach them the character of God, the works of God, the, the commands and the promises of God so that they will learn to fear and love and live for Jesus all their days. And we do this through family worship. We do this by reading the word together and praying together and singing together. And our family has found catechism a huge uh, blessing to help us pass on the truths of the faith to our kids in a systematic way so they know these great truths. If you do the children's catechism, your children will learn the Ten Commandments and what they mean for us as Christians today. We do this by serving along with our kids. We show them what a life lived for Jesus looks like. When John Newton's slave ship was being tossed and torn apart by the storm at sea. When, when he and all of the crew had given themselves up as, as lost, when they thought that none of them was going to survive, at that moment, when he despaired, you know what crashed over his mind like the waves were crashing over the ship? His mother's teaching and training in the word. Even though he had lived sinfully, wretchedly for year upon year upon year. At that moment when he needed it, it was his mother's teaching that saved him. And there are countless examples and stories of parents raising their children in the faith who walk faithfully with God all their lives. Praise the Lord. Amen but there are no foolproof formulas here. It's not like we do A, B, C, and we get a certain outcome. Our job is to be faithful in doing everything we can to pass on faith to our children, and we leave the fruit in God's hands. It's in his hands. Only let us not bear the guilt and regret of having not been faithful in this call. I want you to notice that God gathered the people together, including children, that he might make known his word to them. Moses is addressing the second generation of people here, reminding them of what their eyes had seen, verse 9. They would have been the children at the time. The clear pattern in Scripture is that when God's people gather in God's presence to hear his word and for worship, the children are present it's why we have children with us in church. And one of the ways that you teach your children the fear of the Lord is by bringing them to church every week and showing them what it looks like to worship God. But our example goes beyond Sunday morning. I've often thought to myself that one of the most sobering things a parent can hear from their child is, I want to be just like you. Boy, that'll wake you up if you're not paying attention. Our discipleship has to be both show and tell. So do we speak of God with reverence and awe? Do we delight to obey his commands? Do we love good and hate evil? And do our children hear it and see it? How is this a blessing? It should be obvious, but as John says, I have 
no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. Of course, he's talking about his spiritual children, but how much more true is that of our own children? This is the thing that I want most for my children. I think every Christian parent wants this most for their children. If they have Christ, they have everything. Everything that matters. God calls parents to take seriously their role in discipling their children, and we take it seriously at GFC as well. That's why we call you to this so often as pastors, because it's so important. And we'll be speaking more about this, because this is one of the main themes in the book of Deuteronomy. Well, God's people have been a word-centered people from the very beginning. When God descended, they heard God's voice but they saw no form. The point is that God was to be heard, not seen. Hearing God's word is the path to reverent hearts and wise heads and obedient hands. One of the themes at the heart of Deuteronomy is the centrality of God's word to meeting and experiencing God. God's word is central when we gather as a church. Let me summarize what we've seen this morning about God's word and the blessings of obedience. And my goal here is to help us see what a precious gift the word is and to try to, if I can, stir our hearts to greater delight in obedience. God's word is sufficient, authoritative, righteous, inerrant, normative, and permanent. God's moral law was written on stone because it applies to all people in all places, in all times in human history. Trusting and obeying God's word leads to life, well-being, joy, wisdom, nearness to God, knowledge of his will, justice, a winsome witness to the world, the fear of the Lord and all of its blessings, and multi-generational faithfulness. Oh, God's word is a precious gift. Let us say with the psalmist, in keeping it, there is great reward. Amen? Let's pray. God, we just pray simply a heartfelt thank you. I want to praise you and thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the gift of your spirit to help us obey it through faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray, God, that you would move in our hearts, stir in our hearts to trust and obey you wholeheartedly as your people. God, that we would know the blessings of obedience. We ask it and we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen.